Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads in the Workplace. Sheila O'Connor, and I've been working in the engineering tech field for a long time. It's about 2017 when I encountered the KLC principles for the first time, and that really changed my life in a lot of ways. I was in a number of jobs and positions where it just felt like the same problems were occurring over and over again. I didn't really know what to do with them, and I, in a sense, felt like I was playing whack-a-mole and just trying to knock one thing down at a time, but really not making a lot of progress on that. How did those tools help you from feeling like you weren't playing whack-a-mole anymore? What KLC gave me was a different set of tools to approach these biggest challenges and see opportunities and make progress on those. Sure, I had my technical skills, and that's what I was used to using, but they weren't being effective. Then I saw the KLC framework and the tool set, and it was in addition to those technical skills, but it was a different solution for these tougher challenges. So everybody knows that you play whack-a-mole with a hammer. What's the KLC analogy for what that tool set is? To me, the KLC framework is just so accessible and you can use it in so many different situations. That's what I really love about it. I think it's easy for people to grasp, hard to put it into practice. That's really, to me, the beauty of that tool set. It's also difficult to know like which tool to use Mm -hmm. and when to do it and what's the right tool for the right situation. And you've built something and then you realize you have to pull it apart piece by piece to start over and build something again. Mm -hmm. Or can you replicate it in a different scenario? And the challenges of kind of doing the same thing, but doing it in a way that it meets that situation. Because sometimes you replicate something that's a total wrong thing Mm -hmm. for that situation. That's a default. You've replicated what you've done before, and now you have to figure out how to apply it to meet the moment. What topic are you bringing to us today? When everyone leads in the workplace. Tell us how you are connected to this topic and why it's important to you. What I think about is changing a culture. And the way that you change a culture is to change the language. One of the ways to do that is through a framework like When Everyone Leads KLC, to get everybody on the same page with the same language and the same framework about looking at these gaps and approaching these problems in different ways. 
before you encountered KLC, what's the leadership language that was the default at places you've worked? I don't think there was one. And I think that's why this was so exciting. People go off to all of these different leadership development courses all the time. Some of them are very individualized. I've been a student of leadership for years. I've never encountered anything that was this broad-reaching and applicable to organizations and allowing people to pick it up and share that common language. And when you're looking at a problem and you're using multiple interpretations or values conflicts or any of this, that's shared language within the organization. When you think about the topic of everyone leading in the workplace, what concerns you the most? I think what concerns me the most is we really haven't taken advantage of the full impact that we could get for when everybody leads in the workplace, meaning that if we really spread this to entire teams or entire organizations that are working on these problems together, I think there could be so much more impact from the training that people go through. I think people's hearts are in the right place when they think about the purpose of this leadership training, but I don't think they always consider the impact and what greater impact they could have if they were training communities and teams and people together. Because I think this work is not meant to be done alone. Mm. It's just too difficult. What are your aspirations? My aspirations would be for more and more business owners to make that decision that, yeah, I'm going to invest. I'm going to send this entire team. I'm going to send my entire organization. I'm going to spread this language across my entire company, whether that be five people or 10,000 people, because then you have so much more capacity for seeing and seizing those opportunities. How would workplaces be different if that was happening? I think there would be a lot of differences. One, people would be looking at these toughest challenges together and making progress on those. We wouldn't be waiting for one person in authority to tell us what to do. I think there'd be a lot more engagement from teams if they were engaged in actually solving these problems because it's kind of exciting when you start to make progress. The whole culture and workplace would feel different. I want to say that in order to get a company involved, you would need to get at least the funding and the acceptance from the higher up people. So you would kind of need them on board at first. I wonder how difficult would it be to get some of those higher up, maybe CEOs, accepting of letting their people go and spend a few days in these trainings. They might think that's money thrown away, not understanding how great of an impact it could be in their workplace. Yeah, there's several things there from the people in authority or the decision makers. I think it could be scary putting aside the money. If I authorize everybody to lead, then what is this going to look like? Maybe that's scary for me and maybe I have some sense of loss of control or everybody looking to me for the answer. The financial equation is there too, but maybe it's not so much financial. Maybe it's deeper than that Mm -hmm. if you dig down into what's really holding people back or Mm -hmm. what they're scared of. Giving people that leadership ability could make them fearful, especially if you're not used to the idea of everyone can lead. Right. Like, oh, no, we don't want that. We want them to stay in their lane. <laughs> yeah, because it makes them a lot more unpredictable. Like yeah. if everyone's leading. Now you don't know exactly what's coming your way and uh-huh. everybody might be doing different things from what they might have done before. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like a recipe for maybe more risk or more ambiguity. Things are less defined. 
what gets people stuck in that gap between the concerns that they have and the aspirations that you see. We named some of those. It would be chaos if everyone leaves, right? <laughs> or I think if you take that to the extreme, the authority person might be thinking, well, then they're not going to need me anymore to make all these decisions. And so I'm going to be jobless mm-hmm. at that point. So I think all of those things kind of come into play as we look at why we're stuck. Like the values clash, like you named, we're comfortable where we are, we're comfortable with the status quo. I know when I come into work, this is what I do. And what is it going to look like? And you don't know. Yeah. You don't yeah. Know. Do you think we're comfortable with the status quo or it's just harder to imagine things being different? The devil you know versus the devil you don't kind of mm-hmm. thing. I hear from a lot of workplaces where people aren't happy with the status quo. They figured out a way to adjust to it. And it's a little scary to think about having to adjust to a new status quo. Some of that's just expectations from authority. We kind of grew up that way, you know, in schools. These are the expectations, and I think we kind of fall into that trap. It seems like it's such a wide range of people, and it seems like it's everybody, but what specific groups would be involved in this issue? We name CEO mm-hmm. or those people that hold the authority positions for those teams or those organizations the ones that make the decisions on the funding. Who and how many get to go to this type of training? If you have people that have come to the training, they can go back and have conversations around really the greater impact that you could have if you sent multiple people in an org to the training like this. I don't want to let anybody off the hook. I think we all have a place to play in this. And when you think about people in authority, people who make funding decisions, what do they care about when they think about do I want a workplace where everyone leads? What are the values and what are the gains and losses that are on their minds? They just want to get the work done in a lot of cases. I think that's why you get so much of that whack-a-mole <laughs> we talked about at first, right? Just get the problem solved and move on to something else. So I think some of it is education, really, about looking at the deeper challenges that may be going on in the organizations. We talk about those that are just kind of swimming beneath the surface. And if you never look at those, they're not going to go away and you're never going to be able to make progress on it. In terms of the workers, what's at play for them? I've spent some time profiling an organization for County Mental Health Center in Southeast Kansas. And one of the things I learned from those interviews was they'd send their employees through training and there would be factions in terms of their reaction to training. People who almost have a religious type of revival and people who say, well, if you're going to send me there, I'll go. I'll do what you want me to, but I'm not going to put too much into it. And then there are the people who are like, why did you waste my time? Did you really think (laughs) that this was going to change my life? Thanks for wasting three days. Do those feel like they capture the factions in your experience? What's your sense of where employees are coming from when they try to experiment with this idea of when everyone leads? I'm laughing because you named them all, right? (laughs) I'm here going, oh, my life was changed. This is great. And other people are going, I'm never going to use this, whatever. And you wasted your money. It's just getting enough, getting enough people that can see the ball, can see the challenges, are willing to do the work. I never talk about getting everyone, I guess, even though the book's called When Everyone Leads. Getting enough people to lead in these different teams, organizations, I think can change the equation. Everybody has the capability to do it. So maybe it's a marketing thing. We could have called this book when enough people leave, but I don't know that <laughs> I don't, our, I don't know our marketers are like, hey, I don't know, no, but. no. From the impact side in an organization, 
you probably don't need 100%, but the more people you can get engaged in looking and trying different things and having different conversations, asking different questions, that's going to change everybody around you because it's a system. And when you ask those questions in a system, things are going to change. And when you think about your experience, it seems like you're in the this had a huge impact faction. Have you been able to discern any patterns about who really gravitates to this and who sort of just goes along for the ride and who's resistant? To me, the people that I found that have been the most engaged have a real spirit of curiosity and are willing to see things in different ways and different lights. People that have been very concrete thinkers have a much harder time, I think, grasping onto some of these things. That's kind of my own way of looking at it, but a greater sense of curiosity is one thing that really stands out. Assuming you've been able to see this play out over time, do those initial reactions always define how people experience the training or do you see changes in people's attitudes over time? Mostly it stays the same. You probably have one or two outliers that will come on board. Some people wait to see, is everybody else getting on board? One thing that I've done that's been really helpful to me is I have a community of practice, which is like four individuals that are really willing to go deep and willing to talk about the tougher issues and help each other, coach each other on our struggles. And it has a great level of trust and vulnerability in those conversations. You're not going to get everybody engaged at that level. You don't need everybody engaged at that level. Can you share any examples of the types of things you talk about in that community of practice? It's really anything that an individual is struggling with. And we come from different parts of the organization. Mm-hmm. Top of mind, hey, I'm working on this and I just can't seem to make progress over here. And these are the things that I've thought about, but I'm probably missing something. Just people with that same mindset of curiosity and knowing the framework It's reminding me of something that I talked about with Ford County. They've gone through this huge change where they've gotten a new certification and they went through the pandemic and they implemented electronic health records. And we don't have to get into the details of that. It's like a triple whammy of three big things at once. And they've had so much change that they had to have a special committee that's like a change management committee that doesn't talk through what changes to be made, but how to talk about and discuss and think through the changes and how to communicate and where have they misstep. And the person who leads that committee actually uses the KLC language in how they do things. And so they'll talk about what issues need to be raised and lowered. What you talk about reminds me a little bit of that committee. And I'm curious, how much do you find the KLC language infiltrating your vocabulary? And how does that help you exercise leadership? And in what ways is that ever a barrier? I talk a lot about, let's identify the losses. Let's talk about those because usually people don't. They just get swept under the rug. Let's talk about the value conflicts here because there's something clashing. We're not making the progress that we need to make. So I use the language a lot, but I only do it around people that I know that already have the language. I entered an organization where there were just a couple of us with the language And it was much more difficult because I was trying to find the right words to explain all these things. It took a lot more time. It took a lot more energy because when everybody has kind of that same framework, they know what you're trying to do when you talk about let's diagnose this deeper or what are some other interpretations about this. 
they know what you're trying to do. And so they can come in and help rather than just stop the progress. Are there some ideas that are harder to translate than others to people who don't know the framework? Maybe the diagnosing situations, especially in the tech engineering world, we think we're great at that. On the adaptive side, we learn quickly that we're really not that great at going deeper and really getting the different perspectives on the table. So you want a copy of When Everyone Leads? Here's how to get it. Visit kansasleadershipcenter.org. And if you want to pick up a copy for a friend, well, don't worry. We printed enough. And we'll be delighted to have you as a part of the When Everyone Leads community. You had mentioned that you went into a company that wasn't really familiar with our principles. When you had gone back to the company after being introduced, was it as though you had put your glasses on and it was like 2020 vision or was it more of like a slow burning introduction of our principles into your work life? My first experience was when 12 of us got trained together. It was really fun to go back to the workplace and you would hear people practicing and trying the language. In the first couple of days, I just had to laugh like every time I heard, and that's one interpretation <laughs> and another interpretation. That's died off over time. They still do it and they can still practice it. Sometimes you can be around the language so much that that's one interpretation can almost be like <laughs> oh, okay, a put down, right. a, yeah. a diss, like that's okay, can, one interpretation. Can we, just, can we just have a normal conversation and not tell me about an interpretation, please? It's so counter societal trends right now to be able to entertain not just one additional opinion, but to entertain two or three or four mm-hmm. different explanations of why something is happening. You can't have a Twitter fight about four different interpretations. <laughs> it forces you to have different kinds of conversations that we're just not having elsewhere mm-hmm. right And now. it forces you to understand that there are different interpretations to that one specific thing that you were talking about. Because somebody would say, hey, that's an interpretation. I'll be like, oh, I thought that that was fact. I didn't know that that was an interpretation. (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes people's interpretations become so cemented to their identity that Mm -hmm. to get them to hold another interpretation, you're pushing Mm -hmm. them to hold this thing separate and think, I am a person and I have value regardless of whether this thing is true or not. And it just feels like there's a lot of pressure in society to compact those things together. And Mm -hmm. this is a way of pulling it apart, even by like calling it an interpretation. You can sort of push up against it a little more. It's like you're trying to make your ideas easier to separate from who you are. It really helps people from getting so defensive. I always said it was kind of like (laughs) playing the magic card. If somebody in authority is saying something, then you can always say, well, another interpretation is if they're open and curious, they'll go, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. What makes it hard to reach people on the edge of leading in a workplace? I think as they see more and more people practicing and getting on board, there's some sort of peer pressure. Good peer pressure this time. (laughs) Yeah, positive (laughs) to get on board. Some people, I think it just takes more time. One of the things in workplaces, training goes in fads. They ask me, is this just another fad? Is this going to go away? All of those kinds of things. I think it's a big help if you have your people in authority and influencing positions engaged because they're going to look at that. So this makes me want to talk about engineers 
The story I would tell about engineers, whether it's true or not, coming from my communications background, English minor, journalist for a long time, is that engineers are very smart, very capable at doing the things that they've been trained and know how to do. This is not an English essay. There is a right way to do things and we need to get it done. And I could imagine these ideas being very challenging for them. And I'm wondering, in your experience, do people who come from an engineering or from that more concrete background respond to this or do they feel challenged by it? What sort of patterns do you see? All of that is true. We as engineers are trained to get the right answer. But I think as engineers are in the workplace longer, they come to realize that not all problems have a technical solution. We've got people involved people are messy, and how am I supposed to deal with all these people? And then I think you can flip it and say, these are adapted challenges when you have all these people involved. And if you're open to having this different tool set, then that's going to just complement your already technical skill set. So we're not saying technical solutions are bad, and they're tough, and they're challenging, and all of that stuff is there. We can be very good at technical solutions, but our company's not going to prosper if we also don't have this adaptive tool set. We're so used to thinking of or, we need to start thinking of and. It's technical and adaptive. What do you think made you respond to these particular things, considering your background? What do you think made this different for you than perhaps other people? One thing is I've always been curious about leadership, and I've probably read all the leadership books out there. But... I didn't find anything that was really accessible and applicable until I stumbled onto the KLC framework. And I think it was also just right time, right place. We had some challenges that we weren't making progress on. And all of a sudden, as we got these new tools and had different levels of conversation and deeper levels of conversation, we were starting to make progress. All of a sudden, it was like, this is amazing. (laughs) We'd been stuck. We'd been playing whack-a-mole and it just felt good to be doing something different. Is there a company that you see that's doing a really good job at empowering their employees in leading in a workplace? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have an answer to that question either. What meaning do we make that there's not like a star top of mind? Like I can tell you the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl off the top of my head. Uh I can tell you that KU won the national championship. They got a really bad draw this year. But I can't tell you who's really great at leadership. Why is that? Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting question. There's no top five in all the rankings. But I think a lot of that's about culture. And you really don't know a culture until you get in there and live it in the workplace and see what's really going on. It's really hard to discern from the outside or discern from an interview process or anything Mm -hmm. like that. You really don't know what you're walking into until you're living it day by day. Yeah, that's very true. So how do you know you're in a healthy workplace culture for leadership? For me, the markers are you have to have a high degree of trust, people willing to be vulnerable, people willing to go out on a limb to look at some of these tougher challenges and make progress on it. Organizational health is so extremely important for the culture. As I said, we tend to focus in the workplace on all the engineering, accounting, finance, all of that stuff, HR, but we don't pay as much attention typically to all this org health kind of stuff that deals with conflicts and negotiation and all this other stuff that you have to do in order to get work done. 
Is some of that because it's difficult to measure? I mean, we don't have the quarterly leadership report, quarterly workplace culture report that the shareholders get together and talk about. Yeah, I think it is because it's all that intangible stuff. And like you said, it's much, much harder to measure. When we're looking at adaptive challenges, one of the things is, well, what are we going to see differently? You're going to see more people engaged in this or that. A lot of people say, well, that's not a measurement. Are you able to point to tangible things that are markers of success? I think there's some things you can point to, like more people asking questions in meetings or more people willing to go into deeper diagnosis. There's some things that you can look for, but they're different than how much money the company made or our retention rate. But it feels like those things are linked. Like in the stories that I've profiled in the Fort County, they can link leadership training to them getting this certification. They can link it to an improvement in their retention rate. What do you think keeps more organizations from embracing the idea of when everyone leads? Why don't we have our top five list of the people who are really embracing these ideas? What's the barrier that's there? Once you want a healthy workplace that's making more money, that has better retention, that people feel involved and committed in, it sounds pretty awesome, but it also feels rare. Yeah, I think it's the focus because we put so much emphasis on the more technical business side that we neglect this organizational health side so often. Some people say it's just because people are lazy or it doesn't really impact me or I'm just so much more comfortable over here. I don't want to look over here. I really say it has to be an and. You have to have your business operating well and you have to have your organizational health. Where do our opportunities lie for leadership in the workplace? There's a lot of opportunities there. Just educating people on the purpose and the framework, then the impact, and really talking to people about what is the impact that you want. Do you want to change a culture? Are you really going in big and bold on this? Or are you just doing more of an incremental, I'll send one or two people off, I can check the box, they have leadership development, they feel good, I feel good, and that's the end. But the opportunity really is to look at the impact and what the possibilities are. Do you have a favorite leadership competency or principle? Actually, I think diagnose situations, because there's just so much there. And if you don't take your time there and kind of feel that out, then you're not going to make a lot of progress. I would just start there. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what this tells about us. I'm a raise the heat guy myself. <laughs> For people listening to this podcast, what do you hope they would take away from this? I would hope that they would reconsider maybe what models of training they're looking at and overall investment and then what they could get out of that. So I would really encourage them not to just do a rubber stamp, send one or two people, but really think about sending an entire team and see what happens with that. Send an entire organization and see what that looks like. Okay, we'll make room if they want to send their whole organization. We'll figure out a way. Will we? Well, we'll no, no, we will. We will. We'll, <laughs> no, we will. <laughs> we'll figure we'll figure out somehow. So. You had to think about I was like, "No, let me jump in and say yes, we will." <laughs> well, I had to think about what did I just sign us <laughs> up for? You, you know, say? is there going to be a line of people outside Maybe. the door like, like leadership training, yes, leadership with training signs and everything? Please and thank you. <laughs>
I'm worried I'm going to take it too meta. But one of the things I'm thinking about how trying to bring leadership training and trying to change a culture in a workplace is in of itself an act of leadership yeah. with all the things and all the risk that lie there. If you send a bunch of people to leadership training, hey, they're going to be factions. They're going to be people who really resonate with it. They're going to be people who are just like meh and people who don't like it. And then you have to throw those people back in the same place together to figure out how to work together and how to use these ideas. And it sounds like there's a giving the work back aspect of it that you try to find those champions. You try to find those people who are going to try to make it make sense for the people who struggle with it, who are going to try to find ways to have it lead to tangible things, which just builds up momentum. And in the workplace that I've been talking about, they talk about the Jim Collins good to great flywheel, which to just talk about shorthand, a bunch of little things going right at the same time leads to this big progression over time to mm -hmm. these giant leaps. And that's how something goes from good to great. And so mm -hmm. that's what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. I picked up a lot on despite our podcast being when everyone leads and despite our book being when everyone leads, having a good majority of people leading can also be a benefit. That's one thing that I picked up on. The second thing is I've talked about this with my mom. Before I started working at KLC, I knew nothing about the Leadership Center. I was introduced to the Leadership Center when I interviewed here. So reading through our core principles and going through that first initial class, if I'm being honest, I'm probably one of the people that was like, I'll take it or I'll leave it. But that's not because I didn't agree with what was being said. It was because my family had been living those principles for so long. My mom had been living the principles in her life for so long. So I wonder if that's why some people also aren't clinging on is that they're used to living that in their everyday lives. Yeah. So that's interesting because I would put myself into the, this is amazing faction. <laughs> and Wow. Where has this been all my life? What do you think accounts for that difference? you have any sense of like why you think you reacted that way? Or is this like a therapy session? It versus is a therapy <laughs> session, but it's okay. We can do this. Maybe part of it was that I did it virtually. So I didn't get the full effect of Adrian screaming in the front of the room. Maybe that was part of it. But I really think that it was because when I looked at the principles, it was nothing that was a revelation to me. And it might have been because of my mom and how she lived her life. And it might also have been because of my education and how in the degree that I had been going through, we had to diagnose situations. We had to manage ourselves, or at least they told us that we had to manage ourselves. Whether or not we actually did it is <clears throat> maybe not the same thing. We had to try to intervene skillfully or try to attempt to intervene skillfully. These were like principles that were already taught to me, but in a different setting, in different ways, by different people, but not all in one sitting. We kind of acknowledge that. Even though we think the language is special mm -hmm. and that these are important ideas, they're also ideas that a lot of people practice. They're not a complete revelation. Maybe 
the revelation is in the experience mm-hmm. and the number of people who are going through it. But the ideas in and of themselves for a lot of people are common sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the big reason to go through the trainings would be to learn how to diagnose a situation because you can have experience diagnosing a situation and learn that you've been doing it all wrong or you haven't been giving multiple interpretations or you're not used to hearing multiple interpretations. You're just used to giving them. So I do think that our trainings are beneficial. Yeah. Or you can do it really, really well in certain situations, Mm -hmm. but find that you don't have the skill or knowledge base to do it in all the situations that you need to do to Mm -hmm. sort of be effective in your role or have the life that you want or have the society that you want. Most people have a range of leadership interventions that they're really successful at. And the challenge is expanding the range and expanding the number of situations that they can be effective in, expanding the challenges because the challenges are always changing. They're always morphing and changing into something different. It is the whack-a-mole that we Mm -hmm. talked about. That's the nature of an adaptive challenge. And it's usually multiple moles, not just one that are coming at you. And so it's being able to have that skill to step in and to start whacking the moles that you're missing. Yeah. I have a question for you. Okay. So you are part of our senior staff. So that makes me sound like I'm about to be on the cover of AARP or something. (laughs) Okay. Wait, 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 wait. Let me rephrase that. You're part of our... No, that's how we the say it. Senior team. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But when you just said it right there, no, I'm like yeah. checking for gray hair. And, uh, is that hairline it going is. back a little yes, bit? It is. Uh, I, I didn't know. want to point it out. Yeah, but. oh no. Thank I'm goodness kidding. this is a podcast. So this is, I look your just as good fantastic. at audio as I always have. Your hair looks fantastic. I'm lying. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> anyway, to your point. So, to my point, you're, you're part of the senior team, and I'm not. So I want to know how our experiences might be different in applying everyone can lead into our workplace. To reflect, so I wasn't always on senior team. When I came into KLC, my title was actually Senior Communications Associate. which is just a very strange combination of words. I don't know what it meant back then, (laughs) but that's what my title was. And so I wasn't on senior team. And Mm -hmm. so I was on the outside looking in. And I think when you get to a senior level in an organization, you realize that the stories people tell about your decision-making power may on occasion be more profound than you actually feel in those moments. Mm -hmm. You sort of feel just as confused and it always feels like there's someone who might have more say or more power or more authority in a situation. And so, I mean, clearly where I'm at in the organization, I impact more people by how I engage and the decisions that I make. And I'm still impacted by lots of people. I am impacted at different levels of the organization Mm -hmm. and they shape my behavior and I'm trying to be effective with all of them. And I think having the experience of coming up through an organization, I don't, I don't forget what it was like to be an associate and I don't forget what it was like to be a manager. And now that I'm an executive, I remember those things. And I also know that I don't totally remember those things. So I better (laughs) listen to people who are at those levels because if I don't, I'm going to miss something because I can't just trust that my prior experience is going to tell me what I need to know to be effective right now and to help make this organization what I hope it can be. And it's a really good place, but it can always be a better place. That's really cool to hear about just your experience 
being an associate, being a manager, and being an executive. It would be something new to let everybody lead as a manager when you're managing somebody rather than knowing as an associate that you can lead. I feel like that would feel a little bit different. Was it difficult for you to to try to get into that role as a manager? And it's interesting. So for a lot of time, I was a manager who didn't really manage anybody on staff. Mm -hmm. I managed people who worked on the journal. I managed a team of contractors. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's different now that I manage people in an organization. It's just more complicated. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of different parts of the organization to answer to. And it just feels like I have to be better and develop more skills in order to be able to help give people the right direction. So there's protection, direction, and order. And then there's giving them the chance to define their job and Mm -hmm. define what they're doing and to experiment and to know that how I see what they can do may not be the limits of what they can actually do, that they need to figure out what that job looks like. Yet everything they do also reflects on me. So like I am judged on the basis of the people I oversee, what they do. But if I want them to prosper, then protection, direction and order can only go so far Mm -hmm. in making it possible for people to really thrive. You need some of it, but you need freedom and independence and agency to do your work. seems like you would have to have a lot of trust in whoever you're managing (laughs) to be able to be in that sweet spot to give them direction and also be able to be like, and you can go and do your own thing, but please don't make me look bad. (laughs) Is it awkward that there are people I actually manage in this room as I'm talking? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, is it? There may be some inside voices that can talk more (laughs) about the gap between reality and aspiration. No? Okay. I think she's saying everything is great. (laughs) (laughs) That was a one-minute warning, actually. (laughs) Oh, boy. That's wonderful. Before we go, I want to get back to this when everyone leads thing. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about something that I think my parents told me, probably my mom, that you can- Yeah, I know. (laughs) Bringing the fams into this. There's the old cliche, you can please some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. Well, maybe when everyone leads is true, but maybe it's not that everyone leads at exactly the same moment. Maybe we need workplace cultures where everyone is trying to lead in their moment. Mm -hmm. And that there are moments in this organization where I'm not leading and I should be leading. But because there's somebody here with the skill and capacity and the agency to lead, that they can sort of pick up the slack and move us forward when I'm not able to do that. And maybe I pick them up. And what matters is that we just sort of have enough people doing it that we keep moving. We have enough solar power to keep the car moving. And that's what the key is. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Berblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center, or on Twitter, at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward.
think I've been forcing you to start these past few, so I can start this time. Can okay. I? No, you can start. <laughs> I, I was wondering if you were going to identify the pattern, to change the pattern, or to just set up the way you were going to do it. I'm anyway. identifying right. the pattern.